listeners, I'm Joni B. Cole, host of Author Can I Ask You? For people like me who love books and the stories behind the books, this show gives me the chance to ask authors about what they write and why they write. Plus, I like to throw in a few odd questions just to get to know each author a little bit better as a person. Let's get started and meet today's guest. Today, I welcome K.J. Dell'Antonia, author of the New York Times bestseller, The Chicken Sisters, a novel where all is fair in love, war, and the kitchen. K.J. is also the former editor of the Times Motherload blog and the author of the book, How to Be a Happier Parent. Last but hardly least, K.J. is co-host of the popular podcast, Hashtag Am Writing. K.J., thank you so much for being on my podcast. Thank you for having me. I love being on podcasts. Well, there is a ton of things I want to talk to you about. But of course, we have to start with the Chicken Sisters, which is about a lot of things. But at its core, it's the story of two sisters from a small town in Kansas. And one of them, Amanda, stays in her hometown, while the other sister, May, could not leave Kansas fast enough until, that is, a reality TV competition called Food Wars, comes to town to decide which side of the sisters' feuding family serves the best fried chicken. KJ, this book has a plot and a half. (laughs) So I have to know, how did you come up with this story? I probably had three plots before it got revised down to just a plot and a half. Um, (laughs) That seems to be what I do. I'll tell you, the genesis of the book did come from two real fried chicken restaurants in the town where my folks grew up, actually, uh, a town that I visited a lot as a kid. There are two restaurants called Chicken Annie's and Chicken Mary's. Anybody who's ever been to southeastern Kansas or spent any time there will recognize and know them. And my story has nothing to do with their reality. But just the fact of there being these two unrelated at the time restaurants in that tiny town stuck with me forever. And I always felt like there had to be a story to that. And instead of learning what the story was, I decided to make one up. So KJ, the Chicken Sisters is a New York Times bestseller. On top of that, it was chosen as a Reese Witherspoon book club selection, and Reese herself describes it as a charming, hilarious, feel-good story about the kind of bonds and rivalries only sisters can share. I mean, come on, that is the kind of acclaim a debut novelist has in their wildest fantasies, and you don't even have a sister. (laughs) Hey, Jay, what was it like when you got the news that Reese Witherspoon had picked up your book? It's hard for me to convey the level of unexpected we are (laughs) talking about here. Um, I mean, first of all, it's my first novel. It's getting lovely attention from the publisher, but it's not, you know, people aren't going crazy. And I I just, it's my first one. I'm just, all I want from this is to get to do it again. So we're mid pandemic and everything sucks and I'm sitting at home with my kids watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine as you do during a pandemic. And it feels like that's all we've done for months. And the phone rings and I can see it's my editor. Honestly, I thought she was going to pull the plug. I thought she was either going to tell me they weren't publishing it ever. I didn't know what that would mean for my advance. Or I think what I really thought is they were going to say, we're going to just hold on to this till after the pandemic. Because that was happening right and left. It's happening to all my friends. So that's the phone call I thought I was getting. And to have it instead be her shrieking, this is the best news I've ever given anyone in my whole career. 
I think people feel like you must know or have an inkling that you've written something that would work that way, but I I really didn't. So the low to high trajectory was just astonishing there. I don't expect to ever feel anything like that career-wise again. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> yeah, I'd say. That was a really, really good day. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, why do you think your book is so successful? That's a really fun question that I don't think anyone has asked me. Uh, I think that May and Amanda, you know, the, the between the two of them, they capture the sort of push and pull that a lot of women have about what we put first in our lives. And I think it captures some of the internal conflict that a lot of women have about what they should put first without actually being in any way really about that. It's not about, you know, they have kids, but it's not about kids. One of them has a partner, but it's only sort of indirectly about her relationship with him because it's really about how they see themselves and how they want to see themselves. And it's just about how hard it is to figure out what makes you happy. (laughs) One of the themes in the Chicken Sisters is about Amanda, the sister who stays in her hometown. And she deferred her dream of being an artist so that she could help run the family's restaurant. I was thinking, KJ, about something. It's something I heard you once say about how when you were just out of college, you had literary aspirations, but you deferred your own dream because following that path, it, it didn't feel legit at the time. Can you talk about why you felt that way? Yeah, I wasn't raised in a family where artistic aspirations were considered a viable way to make money. Well, a lot of times they're not. (laughs) Yeah, they're really not usually. But, you know, I could have gone into journalism possibly straight out of school or something. There there were other things that I could have done that might have been more suited to me than law school, which is where I ended up. But Yeah. My family, I think like a lot of Midwestern families, your number one priority was always supporting yourself and supporting any family that you chose to have. And, you know, there were certain careers that were kind of excluded from that. I don't necessarily believe that. I think there's a lot of different ways to make a living and support a family. And I wasn't raised to see it that way. And it took me a long time to see it that way as an adult. Well, I think there's a lot of integrity sometimes in deferring your own dreams. I think so too. And I think that's where we come back to Amanda. And it was some I I really ended up having a lot of respect for her as a character. She wasn't the one I identified with most in the beginning, but by the end, I felt like she kind of was because in some ways that's just having your head on straight. You know, following your dreams is great, but not expecting other people to do all the heavy lifting while you follow your dreams is also great. Can you talk a little bit more about your professional trajectory, how you got from being a student at Kansas State University to being a best-selling author? You know, I didn't even try to make a living as a writer until I had to. I worked on the college paper when I was in college. I wrote, I wrote and wrote and wrote. I wrote the whole time and I had no other responsibilities And I really could have seen if I could do it professionally. I could have lived on nothing in Kansas. It's just that wouldn't have been the gold star route for the academic overachiever that I was. So I went on to law school and I went on to a fancy law firm job and I hated that. And I went from there to the Manhattan District Attorney's Office and 
that was kind of great in a lot of ways, but it quickly became clear that if it wasn't going to be your whole life and it wasn't going to be mine, it wasn't the right place for me. And then I had a sort of assorted other random turn of the century. Isn't that a funny thing? It's the turn of our century. Uh, It makes us sound so old. It does, doesn't it? So, you know, turn of the century jobs, uh, classic startup stuff recruiting, big firms, small firms, all kinds of things. I just never lasted because I never liked doing what I was doing. And then after 9-11, I got laid off and rightly so, because I was the worst vice president of development for a startup you could possibly imagine. And then my husband also needed to change his job. And he ended up with this job at a small town in New Hampshire where I didn't want to (laughs) come. And the deal was that, you know, we would come here and we would get enough babysitting for the one baby that we had and the other ones that we eventually had that I would finally try to make a career of writing. And then I freelanced. I would write anything. I mean, that turned out to be the job where I didn't mind doing all the scut work and the stuff that you have to do to become a professional. So I climbed up the ladder of nonfiction journalism. Sort of wasn't until I'd convinced myself I could do that, that I felt like I could even try my hand at fiction, which is, of course, what I always wanted to do all (laughs) along. Well, to mark your long-awaited arrival as a novelist, could you share just a mini excerpt, maybe a line or so from The Chicken Sisters, a place where you felt like you really nailed it as a writer for whatever reasons? Okay, I'm going to give you just one line. (laughs) And to set it up, this is May, she's the character who left the small town in Kansas. She lives in Brooklyn. She has a very, very precisely controlled and successful life. And she's getting everything in order to tell her husband she's going to go to Kansas, which he's not going to want her to do. She's trying to stay calm. She says, it was hard to be calm when other people were so frustrating. (laughs) I just love that because it's so true and it's so May that, you know, she would blame all her inner turmoil on other people because her sense that she was solidly in control of every situation, which is a very familiar sense to me, is just so powerful in that moment. And I, that's, it's just a line I really like. You know, as I was reading the book, I totally identified with May and I get it. I could be perfectly calm if it wasn't for (laughs) other people. You wrote a book before the Chicken Sisters, which was called How to Be a Happier Parent. And I'm assuming, KJ, that book evolved out of your role as editor of the formerly entitled Motherload blog, which is now, if I'm correct, the parenting section of the New York Times. Yep. And so I just was curious, how'd you get that beat, the parenting beat? Basically, I always want to write or focus on whatever I am immediately interested in. And the truth is that I started out in more of a food writing beat, and I still like to do that. And when we were in New York and I had been laid off, I was writing for Time Out magazine and starting to do some restaurant reviews and trying to head in that direction. But then we moved to the Upper Valley, which is where we are now and where you are. And I didn't think you could do food writing from here. Really, you could. I mean, there's a lot of really interesting food stuff going on here, but 17 years ago or whatever that was, I was pretty restaurant focused and there weren't that many restaurants and I didn't see the other opportunities. So, you know, the other thing in front of me were these uh, children that I kept producing. How many kids do you have? I have four. And that's a pretty rich vein to follow. Hmm. Did that job at the Times and subsequently writing the book 
Did it change the way you parent? Mm, sometimes, but you know, not for the reason that you would think. I mean, occasionally I might learn something and apply it and do things a little bit differently. But the biggest way it changed the way I parented is that it was a full-time job and then some. And when you have a full-time at-home job and four children, you can't be on deck all the time. You can't hover. My kids very, very quickly learned and are constantly relearning that if you rely on me to figure out when you have to be somewhere and what you need to have with you when you get there, you will not get there and you will not have your things. And yet they grow up. It's the gift of failure. That's what it is. Okay, <laughs> Jay, I want to switch gears from your kids to another one of your creations, the podcast hashtag am writing. You have so much stuff going on. Why did you take on this gig to add it to your resume? Whenever I love something, I mean, I loved magazines and I ended up writing for them. I love books and, you know, look where I've ended up. I love cooking. I seem to be incapable of loving things and not turning it into some kind of a job, although I've gotten a little bit smarter about that. So I wanted to start a podcast and wanted to do it with my first co-host, Jessica Leahy, because we were good friends and we lived right down the road from each other. And we always, you know, sort of always successful when we got together and started talking. And I thought, what is the one thing Jess and I will always talk about when we get together? And the answer was writing. So that's why we went in that direction. And we added our third co-host a few years later and Often it's just an excuse for the three of us to get together. And, and that's really a lot of why we do it is for the joy of doing something with your good friends. What were some of the best bits of writing advice you got when you made your foray into fiction? Realizing that I think almost every writer of fiction gets their book sort of dramatically wrong in some way the first time was really helpful. I mean, every time I sat down and listened to a podcast about somebody, you know, who had to revise or who had to throw the whole thing away and start over or who realized halfway through that they had the wrong protagonist or the wrong point of view, it just helped me to understand that this was a long process. You're not kidding. Well, <laughs> having you say that on this podcast, now our listeners will feel in very good company as they struggle along. I have one more question for you, KJ which is if you were to write a six word memoir, what would it be? Well, I had a hard time coming up with a current six word memoir. I wrote a six word memoir back when the book about six word memoirs first came out. And I thought I'd just go back to that one, even though it doesn't quite apply anymore. And it was four car seats, no room. <laughs> <laughs> and even though we don't have car seats anymore, my kids are all teenagers. Sometimes it still feels like that. I'm supposed to be revising a book. I have very few days in which to turn it around. Yesterday, I got 20 minutes to concentrate at one point only. And that was because I put my AirPods in and nobody realized it. <laughs> well, we can both take comfort that books get written in 20 minute, even five minute increments. Sometimes. Thank goodness they do. I think I horrified my editor when I was like, I can't concentrate for more than 10 minutes at a time. I could just see her going... I don't know that you can do this in 10 minutes at a time. And I was like, no, I can't. It's okay. You proved her wrong. Well, even though you no longer have the car seats, I would say your back seat is both literally and figuratively quite full, quite crowded yep. back there. 
Well, KJ, it's been such a treat to talk with you. And I know how busy you are. So I have to say much appreciation for making me a happier parent and now a happier podcaster as well. So (laughs) thanks so much for this time. Thank you. Listeners, if you would like to learn more about KJ and her best-selling novel, The Chicken Sisters, or if you want a recipe for the best fried chicken ever, be sure to visit her website, kjdelantonia.com. So that's it for this episode of Author, Can I Ask You? Thanks, everybody, for listening. And if you like what you heard, please spread the word and visit me on my website, JoniBCole.com. In the meantime, take care, act civil, and don't be afraid to ask the odd questions.